This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by the Live Alcohol Experiment, a 30-day science-based and compassion-led journey where you learn to develop a healthier relationship with alcohol without relying on willpower. Why? Because the truth is that willpower runs out. Instead, you learn how to focus on what you gain, not what you give up, so you can feel good about the decisions you make without shame or guilt. With the 30 days of video training, virtual daily coaching, and a private and supportive community, you get that and so much more. Join us today to get happier, healthier, and to take back your life. Your live alcohol experiment starts on the 1st, so sign up at livealcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm here with Sky. How are you, Sky? I'm really good. How are you? I'm doing awesome. So uh, let's start at the beginning. Where, you know, what was your first drink and where did it kind of all start for you? Um, well, my first drink was actually Chambord that we stole out of my friend's parents' liquor cabinet and it tasted like cough syrup. Um, but, you know, I drank. I started drinking at about 14 and I liked the way it numbed down my crazy mind. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I was a good girl. I was a smart girl. And, um, I think alcohol was a way for me to rebel. Um, you know, it was something I could control and it was a way to feel like I was fitting in. And so when I went to college, I went to a pretty big party school. It was, University of Missouri Rolla. So right in the middle of the United States, a bunch of engineers. And the year before I went there in 1994, it was in Playboy for one of the top 10 party schools, which is part of why I decided to go. So, um, you know, I drank like all the kids in college drank. I feel like everybody else was doing it. And I was probably just keeping up with everybody. Although looking back, I realized, you know, I was one of the people that stayed up the latest partied the longest, um, you know, walked around the perimeter of the bar and, or the party and like finding beer cans that were half empty and, and drinking them, you know, stuff that uh, probably was a little more than the norm. Um, but, you know, I, I just felt like I was keeping up with everybody else. Like I didn't feel like there was anything that special about what I was doing, all my friends drank. And so when, um, you know, after I graduated and started working, everybody, we were all young, we were single and, and we were all still partying. I hung out with a lot of servers and people that worked in the service industry. And, um, you know, I got a job, I was an engineer and I traveled and went out and partied. Um, I became a teacher after that and we went to happy hours and we drank. And I think, um, you know, when it seems like it's normal, you don't quite realize how much you're affecting yourself. So like that waking up with the hangover, waking up still drunk, um, not remembering what you did, not remembering who you pissed off or you know what ex-boyfriend you called, or this was before text messaging or emailed. Um, it just seemed like, like that kind of, that constant starting over every day was the norm. Um, you know, that, that was like 25 years of drinking really. Uh, and 
by the time I met my husband, so we met at a bar, we got really drunk. Um, our whole relationship was kind of built off of hanging out and, and drinking and we got pregnant and I had my first child. So, you know, I quit drinking for a while um, and, and toned back to that, that mommy wine culture. So no longer was I going out and partying with my friends, but we were having play dates and cracking open some beers. You know, we were doing mom's night out and, and all of that thing. And so I think, um, you know, really by the time I decided to quit, I, my, my drinking life had like gone on this up and down and up and down and up and down. And I always liked um, what you guys say in this naked mind about how, you know, there's not necessarily like, you don't have to hit a rock bottom in order to decide that this is not serving me. Mm -hmm. And so when I finally decided it was not serving me, my rock bottom was years before, you know, <laughs> my rock bottom was in my twenties when I was single and like, it, you know, I mean, there's stories I can't even tell in mixed company, right? But that didn't make me quit. It was by the time I had kids and was able to sort of sit and assess, um, it, you know, how alcohol was really taking away from my experience as a mother that um, I was finally able to like come to that conclusion of, of it's time to, it's time to really look at this. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And so what were some of those like specific moments that you were like, okay, this is. You know, it's funny because I think like, I've listened to a lot of the, this naked life people. And I'm like, you know, and a lot of people, like I've tried to quit for years and I'm like, you know, I hit some really low moments and I always rationalized it to where it, alcohol wasn't really the problem. Like, I don't know if it was such that I just, I couldn't face it, but um, I got married at about 25 to my first husband um, and we drank a lot. Uh, his nickname was Dick Whiskey. So uh, we got together because we were always the ones that were able to stay up the latest and party the hardest. And so we got married thinking like, that's what a great relationship, you know, should be founded on. Of course, it's like a pool of vomit and liquor. <laughs> and so our marriage lasted not quite two years. Um, and then I got divorced and I was single and hit in the bar scene. And so my, these were my lowest points is when I was, um, you know, I was newly divorced and I was single and I was going out by myself and just engaging in some extremely risky behavior, um, putting myself, you know, my body, my sexuality, my, my safety at risk on a nightly basis. And at the same time, I was getting a master's degree and becoming a teacher and like showing up and, and teaching students and living this double life. Yeah. Um, but I was doing things on the weekends that, you know, may have, should have left me dead. I was mm. hooking up behind the bar. I mean, I was, you know, I was driving myself home, um, finding my car in the, in the front lawn, uh, locking, losing my purse, losing my keys regularly. Uh, there were several times I had to um, break into my house because I got home and I was so intoxicated and I didn't know, I didn't know what happened to my purse or my wallet or my keys or my flip phone or anything. And I was, it was dark and I was cold and alone. And so I busted through wow. the back window of my house to, to open it. And then the next morning, having to triage all that. But even in those darkest moments, 
like the thought of giving up alcohol like never even crossed my mind because what would I do then? What would I, like, it was just, it was so entrenched and entwined with my, my identity that um, I would rather live that kind of life than give up drinking. Yeah, 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 I, I can really relate to that. I mean, there's so much fear in the idea of giving up drinking and it, it's fear at like a visceral level. It's not even conscious, you know what I mean? It's, it's this deeply ingrained, like things will not be okay. And I think there's, there's like neurochemical reasons for that. Like our brains really get confused. They think alcohol is like as important as oxygen for our survival when we become really addicted to it. And there's all sorts of sort of sociological reasons for that. All sorts of like, um, gosh, it's, it's amazing. And we, it's so hard to see it in the moment because that fear is so visceral that it feels like we have to almost distance ourselves from like we don't even allow ourselves to entertain the idea of giving it up. So you said earlier that you kind of would come up with all these rationalizations or reasons why alcohol wasn't really the problem. Um, was that continuing to happen even in these moments where you're breaking into your own house and losing your keys and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. I mean, it was almost like I laughed it off. Um, like, this is who I am. You know, I'm the party girl. I'm the life of the party. Like, you know, watching all those movies, like that one with Cameron Diaz, you know, where she's like, I can't remember my sister's keeper or something where she's like, she's the one and she's the party girl. And, and, uh, you know, if I wasn't that, then, then who would I be? So like, like you talk about that visceral feeling, it almost felt like if I were to quit drinking, it would be like pulling my soul, like out of my body. So it just wasn't like, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's so out of our realm of possibility in those moments for sure. Yeah. So and I lied, I, you know, I lied and lied. Laura McCohen talks about, there's a whole chapter in her book about the lying piece and, um, you know, never really realizing how much I lied in order to protect that, like my relationship with alcohol. I lied to my parents extensively. You know, I lied to my partner, I lied to my friends and I lied to myself on a daily basis about what it was actually doing to me. I mean, my teeth were like turning black and red and from all the wine and not brushing them because I would come home and pass out. And, but yet I would look at myself in the mirror and see that, but tell myself that it wasn't there or that, you know, this wasn't a problem or nobody else could see it or you no. Know. Yeah, I really relate to that. All right, so you're single and you're having, you know, these risky nights out and all that sort of stuff. And then what happens? Um, so, so like I said, you know, I'm living this double life. I became a teacher and I was a really good teacher. <laughs> I was actually quite good at it, but there were times where, um, you know, especially I remember my first year of teaching where I, uh, like I tripped over the projector cord and like fell on the floor and I was laughing. And I realized like, I was still drunk. I was still drunk. And like, that's not okay. But there was, but you know, that part of my brain, like, God, that's not okay. You should feel a ton of shame about this. And I wasn't willing to feel the shame. So I pushed it back and like laughed about it. So, um, you know, when I, uh, when I eventually met my husband and we were both kind of in that same place of 
drinking till we black out. Now we could do it together. So we had a, like, this is my current husband, not the first one. Right. They were both built on pools of whiskey. <laughs> but um, so we came together and we drank together and that's what our relationship was built on. And, um, you know, that's hard then when you decide to have a family, like when you decide to have a kid and, I remember being sober for those nine months and like him still drinking and how resentful I was. Oh man, you know, yeah, I could quit for nine months in order to, to have a baby, but I could not wait until I had that baby. I mean, I think we had vodka in the delivery room. Like I had a screwdriver or something. Like I couldn't wait to get back to it. Yeah. I mean, it was such a big part of my life. I really relate to that too, for sure. Yeah, and it wasn't until um, my second child was born, um, actually several years after my second child was born, that I finally decided to quit. And so, you know, I didn't like decide to quit and then try to quit and then not. And then it was like one day I decided, oh my God, <laughs> I have to quit. And what I what happened was, so my kids were two and four and um, I was 41. And I was out at the bar. Um, we saw Jane Lynch. So Jane Lynch, and she was performing. And then she went out to the bar and we all went with, you know, and we were like trying to get her to talk to us and stuff. But Jane Lynch, like, I don't think she drinks much. <laughs> and so here's all these drunk 40-year-old moms pawing all over, trying to get her to like talk to us and give her, give us autographs. And we're dancing. And the next day, I saw on Facebook, the bar had posted this panoramic video of the goings on at the bar because Jane Lynch was there. And in that video, right in the center of that video was me, 41, sloppy blackout drunk on the dance floor, just looking a hot mess. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, I don't know, because it wasn't the, the drunkest I've ever been. It wasn't the stupidest I ever acted, you know. But it was at that moment that I realized this is not the woman I want to be. Yeah. This is not the mother that I want to be to my daughter. This is not the role model that I want her to see. And it, I mean, it took that visual of like seeing myself, you know, but I, so I will say I, I did try to cut back. It was one, there was one week of moderation in my story, <laughs> one full week. I made a new year's resolution. I was like, all right, I'm only gonna have one drink a night and at the most four, but I'm not gonna get sloppy drunk. You know, I'm not gonna get hungover. And so I made it through new year's Eve and I did grab four drinks, you know, I wasn't that drunk. It was great. I woke up, I had new year's day, it was beautiful. And then it was January 6th, something happened. And my husband and I, cracked open a bottle of wine, ended up drinking that bottle, drinking another bottle, who knows what else, hitting the vermouth and the, you know, you know, it's bad when you go to the vermouth in the back of the cabinet, like you've drank all the bottles of wine and you have to like get the dregs. Um, the next thing I know, I woke up in the morning with a pounding, raging, horrible headache. Um, I had wet the bed, which I was known to do when I drank too much. Mm -hmm. So there I was six days into my moderation, um, you know, waking up in this state again. 
And so that was the moment that, um, that, that was my day one, January 7th, 2018. That was my day one of the day I decided to change my life. Not to say I didn't have several data points in that whole path, but like, but that's when everything changed, everything shifted. And um, one of the very first things I did was I ordered your book on Amazon. And and I think it had like just come out, like this was 2018. So it probably only been out for what, a year? 2015 came out. So yeah, a few years probably. Yeah, well, there was no, there was no group. There was no like, Mm -hmm. You know, there, it was just like this book by this kind of relatively unknown. And I'm like, well, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. And because uh, I knew I didn't want to go to AA. Um, and that just didn't resonate with me for many different reasons. But um, I had, that very morning when I woke up, I looked at my phone as we do in the morning. And the very first thing I saw was a Facebook post from an old high school drinking buddy friend of mine from years ago. And it said, someone I hadn't talked to in forever. And it said, um, I'm celebrating my five years of sobriety today. And I saw that post and I thought, oh my God, maybe this is, a, this is the sign I needed. And I reached out to him on Messenger and said, I think I need to quit drinking also. I'm terrified. Mm. And uh, that was the, that feeling of day one was just, total fear, horror. What am I going to do now? I didn't know what I was going to do or who I was going to be or how I was going to face day two or the rest of my life. I mean, I figured I would just be uh, boring and everything would be beige and I would not, I would just be a shell of the former fun person I used to be. No one would want to hang out with me. That's, you know, those were the thoughts that were going through my head. That's kind of what I figured sobriety would be like. Yeah. Surprise, it's not. <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, I, I felt like I was at the bottom of the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that just to circle back to one thing you said earlier, that that experience of, um, having to see yourself on video is like, I know it was probably horrible, but what a gift too, because we can't see that from the inside. We have no idea. I remember the first time I like saw myself videotape drunk. It was just shocking. Like I, I was amazing. I was like, that is just not me. <laughs> I've been hijacked, you know, it was so eye-opening. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I thought that was me, you know, like I thought that was my whole identity was this, this party girl, drunk person that that's what made me interesting and entertaining. And that's why people liked me Mm -hmm. and realizing it's actually quite the opposite. Tell me about that. Well, realizing that when I didn't numb myself and turn myself into a clown, like my true self could come out. And um, my, my first real experience of that was about four weeks into my sobriety journey. I went to a mom's night out, which is a typically, you know, a heavy wine event. Um, one where I would usually bring several bottles of wine because what if I brought one and somebody drank it? Mm-hmm. or drank one glass of it. I didn't have enough. So I would normally bring several bottles and 
probably always be the drunkest one there. So this time I went and I was like, okay, I'm not going to bring any wine. And I know other people will have it. So that way, if I feel really weak, I'll have to go through that extra friction of having to ask somebody for it. So I went there and I kept telling myself like, okay, you know, the part in The Princess Bride where the Dread Pirate Robert says, if I must, I could kill you in the morning. Yeah. So like, I would always say that to myself, like, okay, I'm not going to have wine, but if I must, I could always have one later. Like kind of pushing myself off for like 30 yeah. minutes. And so I went there and I did it and I had some water and we ended up, it was some crazy like uh, clothing exchange thing where we all brought clothes and stuff we didn't want and we were trying them on. So it was a, there was a lot of activity and just jokes. And I ended up having so much fun and being so free to be myself and be silly and that people were asking me, oh, can I get you another glass of wine? And I was like, oh no, thanks. I'm good. I'm not drinking. And I just like, I had water the whole time. People thought I was drunk because I was fun. And then I left and I was like, I mean, I hadn't felt that high, like vibration and just buzzing and, and uh, yeah, in years and years and coming out of that night feeling like, okay, I really am you know, a fun person and people really do like to be around me and I can do this. I can be in a social situation and hold my own and have a good time. Like that's the proof. That's the proof that I needed. It's like the rewiring those neural pathways. Okay. Now I have an experience to connect this to, you know, now I can, I can go back to that experience the next time I might feel um, a craving or feel a temptation or a weakness. Wow. I love that. That's so awesome. That's really cool. So you kind of made this burn the boat sort of decision and, and then what happened? Um, so the journey began, um, I started finding myself, I started doing yoga, I started meditating, uh, mindfulness became a huge, huge piece of coming back to myself and that whole fear of, you know, my soul, like drinking, taking everything from me was, I mean, that evaporated within days because I realized like, oh, can I cuss? Oh, shit, my soul is like here. It's here. Like it's always been here. And I was, I was covering it up with this costume of this drunk girl. And so through that process, I just, I started rediscovering things about myself. Like, it's kind of like, like an LOL surprise. Like I have these little packages and I like open it up and be like, oh my gosh, here's this other thing I love to do. I would ride bikes. I haven't ridden a bike since I was 17. Yeah, let's get a bike. Like, oh, writing. Oh my gosh, I haven't written since I was in high school. And I started writing. Um, just all these things. I started learning about loose leaf teas and making myself tea rituals. I started painting again. And just, it, it was amazing just discovering like each day, like opening up this new package of, oh, this is who I am. Wow. And realizing that I was really so much more of a full person than I ever gave myself credit for, because I was always like dampening it down and numbing it with alcohol. Just awesome. So um, did you have, you know, you mentioned like a few data points, like, was it difficult at times? It sounds like it was pretty awesome for the most part. 
Yeah, I mean, when I say data points, it's more like um, for a while I would treat myself to a beer, like a monthly beer. I would have this monthly beer at a mom's event or whatever. And I'd make this big deal about it. Hey, everybody, I'm having my monthly beer. And, you know, I don't know if it was just to prove to myself and everybody else that I was in control. Um, because now, you know, ever since I started the, the Snake of Mind Institute, been like stone cold sober and how easy it was for me to like drop that idea of the monthly beer because it was never really about the beer. It was more about like, like the ability for myself to have one and say, well, look, Sky, you just had a beer and then you're done. I'm so proud of you. Um, but I think that, that for me anyway, and I think for a lot of people that that's, that's kind of an important part of the process is to like test yourself sometimes, you know, and I'm, a rebel at heart. So if somebody tells me I can't do anything ever again, then you better believe I'm going to go out and do it like the very next day. So to always let myself know, like, hey, that's available for you. You can do that anytime you want, Sky. Go ahead. Um, that kind of allows me to have the power, you know, that I own the power of whether or not I'm going to drink, not because there's a rule around it. Like, you know, that's self defeating to me. I love that. So good. I totally agree with that. It's like, yeah. Anyway, it's just really powerful to just completely have the choice back and feel, feel that way. Yeah. It's awesome. It's yeah. So, cool. so let's talk about some of what you're doing now, because I know you've written a book, which you sent me and I'd love you to talk about that. Yeah. I, I'm going to hold it up. Yay. <laughs> Tell us about the title. Yeah, so it's titled Unexpected Alchemy, Poems of Addiction and Awakening. And um, so poetry was one of those things that like, as I'm opening up the LOL surprise of my life, like poetry was, it, it used to be a love of mine. And so I started bringing it back. Um, and what I found was that all that old shame that had accumulated from my 25 plus so years of drinking, um, you know, it's still in there because I never really processed it. I just numbed it. And once I got sober, all those shame things, they, they would pop up here and there, things that I thought that I dealt with years ago. Um, and I found that poetry was a huge, hugely beneficial way for me to take something that was dark and to get it out and turn it into something that was now beautiful. So a lot of the poems in that book came from that place. And a few of them like woke me up in the middle of the night. Like I had these phrases of stuff that happened, you know, a decade or so ago that I thought, man, I thought I dealt with that, but bam, here it was. And it was coming up in these words and phrases. And so I had to wake up and sit down and write them out. And then when I was done, it was like, huh, oh, like this whole just exhale release of something that I hadn't even realized I was, I had been hanging on to. Um, so the book about alchemy is about, is about taking something that's rough and raw and, and dirty and burning it down to the bone, dissolving it, making it formless so that it can then begin to be transformed and through this process of transmutation, adding new life, separating out impurities, 
Um, and, and then really leaving us with this ability to appreciate life. Like the, the end product of alchemy is the sorcerer's stone or the philosopher's stone, like the stone of knowledge. And um, to me, that just means the ability to uh, see beauty in, in life, in everyday things, even in things that might be um, challenging. Yeah, I love that. It's such a, such a cool thing. I had a friend tell me recently in her whole journey, she's like, I feel like the golden Buddha who just got like the first piece of mud cracked off. Cause of course nobody knew the Buddha was made of gold for a long time. And then it was like, oh, there's something else underneath here that we've just been covering up, you know, which is really cool. Yeah. And everyone has it. And that's the most amazing thing it's that we we're all made of that soul of love. I mean, we're all, we, every single person can access it. Yeah. And that's my whole goal with like sharing the poems and, and helping other people to write and speak their truth is to give everybody permission to just go in there and find that love and that the golden Buddha. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's really that. So yeah, tell us more about like your coaching and helping other people. Love to hear about that. Um, so I went through your training last year and um, it just transformational for me. I, um, I found it from my aunt who actually went through the alcohol experiment in January. She had been reading my blog and got reference to you through my blog joined the alcohol experiment and quit drinking. And now she's been sober for over a year. So yay. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but it, so I started my business soul's truth coaching in August of 2021. And the goal of soul's truth is to really help women ignite their personal power and take back control over drinking. So one of the things I've been doing in my community is hosting these um, women's open mic prose and poetry where women can come. It's not about literature. It's not about how good or whatever your writing is. It's simply a space where women can come in a safe space with other women and speak their truth, speak their stories and be heard and be seen. And um, I think that's just something that's so needed. And it's it's been so powerful to watch. There was a woman that came that just came to the microphone and three words in, she just started bawling. She just stood there at the microphone and just sobbed and sobbed. And we went up and we, we held her and everybody just held space for her while she just released it all. And she made it through her piece. I mean, it was just like, you could feel in the room, just like this, this love and, and acceptance and, and release of all of that, that shame that we carry as women for the experiences that we, you know, we in society pile on ourselves. Mm. Wow, that sounds amazing. Really cool. And doing it, you know, in person, we've been so separated from each other. And so to be able to yeah, do that together, it's just, just awesome. I love that. Um, okay, so two, two questions to kind of finish us out, which is first, where could people find you? Um, should they want to learn more about these open mic nights or, or what you're up to or the book they can find me on soulstruthcoaching.com and they can also find the book unexpectedalchemybook.com so it's available on amazon um 
Yeah, or on my website as well. Awesome. So good. So let me ask you the question I kind of finished these up with, which is if you are going to go back to Sky, who was, you know, watching that video of, of the night before, or perhaps the one who was so terrified having those risky weekends and just so terrified that like she wouldn't even allow herself to consider not drinking because the prospect was just like so out of possibility of living a good life. You know, what would you tell her? How would you encourage her? Um, I would tell her, first of all, that it's going to be okay. And I would tell her that she's so much stronger than she realizes Mm -hmm. that it's like Glinda, the good witch says, you know, you've always had the power within you. Um, I would tell her to be still, be quiet and listen, listen to what the universe has to tell you. I love that. It's so awesome. Is there anything else you want to talk about or share? Um, no, that's it. I really appreciate you talking to me today and let me talk about my book. It's like, it's my baby. It's the thing I never in a million years would have thought I could have produced when I was in a state of constant inebriation and hanging over. Um, it's amazing when you can start stringing days together. <laughs> the kinds of things that you can put out into the world. I mean, you know. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. There's so much more inside each of us that we don't realize because we're just numbing it, numbing it away. Um, That's just so great. Well, thank you so much, Sky. It's been really fun and great to get to know you better. And thanks so much for coming on. All right. Thank you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, it's Annie Grace. I wanted to interrupt this podcast, I guess the end of this podcast, to say that if you're totally serious about actually and truly and forevermore transforming a relationship with alcohol, really leaving it behind in the rearview mirror for once and forever, and changing your psychology about it, we have a program called The Path that I've created specifically for you. Now, it's not for you if you're still dabbling or trying to figure out where you want to be or maybe even if you still want to moderate. All those things are fine. That's great. But if you're beyond that and you're like, no, I just want to be done with this. I'm ready to invest some time and I'm ready to just make this happen. I want the answer. I want the easy way out. Then I want you to check out NakedMindPath.com and join us in the path where you receive coach guided and community support so that you can truly make this lasting change that you want in your life. And as always, Rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.